Lord Jesus, pray that you would open your word to us, help us to follow you in all that we do. We pray this in your name. Amen. I just want to make one last commercial for men's fraternity. Tuesday morning, 6.30, lots of you have signed up, 300 or so have signed up uh, of every age, so it's going to be a good group. I encourage you, you can come even if you haven't signed up. If you're in a small group, come with your whole small group. Just make that your small group meeting time for 20 times this year. But I uh, really want to encourage you guys to be there on Tuesday morning. It's in the community center. And one thing I want to kind of address, a couple of you have said to me on the side, I don't know, Scott, I don't like that touchy-feely stuff, so I don't know about that. So it's not going to be touchy-feely, We're not, it's not going to be Oprah, I promise you, no Oprah. Uh, but it's also we're going to get beyond news, weather, and sports, so talk about the real stuff of life. So somewhere between news, weather, and sports, and Oprah, that's what we're going for. <laughs> Tuesday, 6.30, be there. A friend of mine recently told me a story about a friend of his who looked out his window one day and saw his next-door neighbor had backed a pickup truck up to his house, the neighbor's house. And the neighbor was standing in the doorway of his house trying to move this huge refrigerator. So this man went over and asked the neighbor, do you need help? And the neighbor said, yeah, this thing is heavier than I thought. So they both pushed and pulled and twisted the refrigerator this way and that way, but it just it didn't budge. So they, they, they rested and then they pushed and pulled some more until finally they're both sweating and out of breath. And, and this man said, I don't think we're ever going to get this thing into your house. And the neighbor said, what do you mean into the house? I'm trying to get it out into the truck. <laughs> do you ever feel like you are wrestling with God for the control of the direction of your life? Do you ever feel... Like you have one set of plans, but God, or at least events in your life, have a completely different set of plans. Maybe you're headed down life's road on your own plan, and then suddenly something changes. A health crisis, or financial setback, or not getting married when you thought you would, or your kids not behaving the way you want them to behave. And your plans get all messed up, and you think, man, this is not what I had planned. Well, the verse that we just read addresses that issue. And if you've hung around the Christian subculture much, you've probably heard this verse before. Different than the obscure verses I've been choosing, so I've been told. So this one you've heard before. I had a person ask me last week, how are you choosing these verses? Because they sure aren't the most popular verses in the Bible. (laughs) This one you've heard, though. God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And we love that verse. People choose it as their life verse. They calligraphy it and frame it and put it up on the wall. And we think, oh, how nice. God knows the plans he has for us. Mind you, we don't much care what God's plans are. We have our own set of plans. But it's nice to think that God also has some plans, should we ever get interested. (laughs) But to me, what is life-changing about this verse isn't the verse. It's the context. Never read the text without also reading the context. And this verse, taken in context, is a little edgier, a little less feel-good than it sometimes gets interpreted as. Last week we talked about how Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land in Israel. And for a while they were thankful to God, but then as time went on they got more and more corrupt and 
started adopting the evil religious practices of the people around them, which included things like sacrificing your children to idols. And for 500 years, God sent prophet after prophet to warn them to cut it out or there's going to be a problem. For 500 years, he warned them. That's a lot of patience. And finally, God said, okay, if the only way to get your attention is to let you reap the consequences of your actions, so be it. Because you can't keep doing this. You can't keep killing your kids and calling it worship. That's a bad thing. So in 586 BC, God allowed the Babylonian army to capture Jerusalem, burn it down, and cart a whole bunch of Israelites off to exile in Babylon, which is just south of modern day Baghdad. God didn't want to do that. But in order to get their attention, he allowed it to happen. It was also just the natural consequences of centuries of corruption, which had so eroded their culture, they couldn't defend themselves. Well, when they got to Babylon, a bunch of false prophets went around saying, oh, this is no big deal. This isn't going to last very long. We'll be back in Jerusalem in no time. But then Jeremiah comes along and he says, no, you won't. And in the verses immediately preceding the one we read today, God says this to the exiles. He says, build houses, settle down, marry and have children, and pray for the city. And when 70 years are completed, I will fulfill my promise to bring you back to Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. That's the context. And it kind of changes the verse a little bit, doesn't it? Because you can kind of see the Israelites going, you mean, we got to live in this rotten city for 70 years? We'll be dead by then. Nice plan, God. And basically what God is saying here is, I know the plans I have for you, and they're not your plans. You all right with that? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I hate that. Because I like my plans. For I know the plans I have for me. And they are better plans than what God has planned. I'm just sure that I know better how to run my life than God. And that's where this verse has changed my life. Because what it shows me is that God's plans are good even if they're not our plans. You know, fundamentally, I don't think we trust that God intends good things for us. I think we think he's out to get us. And his plans are just going to be awful. That's, that's uh, how the devil got Adam and Eve to sin, right? Well, God's holding out on you. You better take things into your own hands. Do things your way. It's sort of like a joke I once heard about a frog who goes to a fortune teller. The fortune teller says to the frog, you're going to meet a beautiful young woman. From the moment she sees you, she, she'll have an insatiable desire to know everything about you. She'll be compelled to get close to you. You'll fascinate her. And the frog said, wow, where am I going to meet this young woman? And the fortune teller said, biology class. Dissect frogs in biology, right? Okay, you got it, right? That's kind of how we are with God's plans. We're just sure the future he has for us is going to be awful. But notice, God doesn't say, I know the plans I have for you and they're going to make you miserable. He says, I know the plans I have for you to bring you good and not to harm you. And all of life changes when we trust that God intends good for us. Because then we can obey him, knowing that his commands are not meant to wreck our lives, but to fulfill them. God's plans are good, even when they're not our plans. But more than that, God's plans are to bring us good, even when our circumstances are bad. You know, the Israelites have some good reason here 
to be bummed out. I mean, exile is not fun, and neither are some of the hard things we face. Health crises, death of a loved one, loneliness, these are hard things. And we should never paper over them and pretend they're not hard or kind of shove them aside with trite cliches. Those are hard things. And God doesn't want those things to happen. They're the result of living in a broken, fallen world, and someday he's going to fix that. But even though those hard things aren't God's plan, he has a plan in them to bring us good. And his plan is to prosper us even when our circumstances are rotten. Now, our understanding of prosper is sometimes different than God's. I remember once getting a piece of junk mail that was advertising this little trinket called the Prosperity Cross, and I I kept it because I knew someday I'd want it for a sermon illustration. And this advertisement said, you know, that the people who bought this cross, if you bought it, you'd get rich and everyone would like you. And and it had all these testimonials written on it of people who had bought this prosperity cross. And my favorite testimonial said, and this is a quote, ever since I've been believing on the prosperity cross, my life has been wonderful. In fact, just last week, I was able to buy a triplex home. It is called a triplex because there are three of them. In case you didn't know what a triplex was. That's often our understanding of prosperity. Money, good things, prestige, popularity, you name it. That's kind of what we think of prosperity. God has a different view. As I said last week, the thing that God is after most is our character. Because character is eternal. Character cannot be taken away. Money, all the things that we talk about as being prosperity, reputation, all of those things can be taken away. But character lasts. And out of character comes hope. And out of hope comes joy. The Bible puts it this way. We rejoice in our sufferings. There's a bold statement. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. One of the good things God wants to give us through hard times is stronger character. That's what happened to the Israelites. Exile made them stronger. They never again turned to idolatry. Never again. And exile forged some of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament, Daniel and and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And and where would Sunday school classes be without those three names, right? (laughs) Felt board industry would go out of business if it weren't for them. Character lasts. I'm I'm a World War II history nut. So my wife and I have been watching the PBS documentary called The War about World War II. And it shows the difficulties that people had to go through both here on the home front but especially on the battlefield. And, and just by the way, if you are a World War II vet, thank you so much for your service. And as I was watching this documentary, a lot of me was thinking, oh, I am so glad that I didn't have to go through that, that I was born after that. But then there was another part of me that was thinking, what did I miss? What did I miss? Because as I listened to these former soldiers talk, what impressed me was the character that that hardship seems to have forged in many of them. Things like courage, persistence, integrity, compassion. At a couple points, I turned to my wife and I said, man, they were just made of sterner stuff back then. There's something about that hardship that forged an awful lot of good character in an awful lot of people. It wasn't a good thing, but there was good coming out of it. In fact, after watching this, my my wife was so inspired that the other day she noticed that she had a hole in one of her socks. She said, I have been learning about World War II. I'm not going to throw these away. I'm going to darn this sock. That's character, right? My pioneer woman, right? 
out of hardship, God forges character, and character is eternal. And the other good thing God gives us in hardship is his presence. In exile, the Israelites learned that God was with them even in Babylon, not just in Jerusalem. And that brought them closer to God. In a book called Let's Roll, Lisa Beamer, whose husband died as a hero on September 11th, said, Slowly I began to understand that the plans God has for us don't just include good things, but the whole array of human events. The prospering he talks about in the book of Jeremiah is often the outcome of a bad event. Many miracles are not a change to the normal course of things. They're found in God's ability to sustain and nurture people through even the worst situations. Somewhere along the way, I stopped demanding that God fix my problems and started to be thankful for his presence as I endured them. Prosperity is not a triplex. Real prosperity is when you can have peace and joy even in the worst of circumstances. I spoke with a woman recently whose husband has cancer, and she said, you know, this is not what we had planned. But she said, it's it's strengthening our marriage. Her husband has never been very open about what's going on inside of him, and this cancer has helped him help open him up to talk more, and that has brought them closer together. She said, I didn't plan it, but God's using it. God's plans are good even when they aren't our plans. God's plans are to bring us good even when our circumstances are bad. And finally, this verse can change our lives because it cures the if-onlys. We have a lot of if-onlys in life, most of us. If only I was married. If only I had more money. If only I hadn't had the parents that I had or or the rotten kids that I have. or, Or if only I didn't have this problem or that problem. If only then I could be happy. For the Israelites, it was if only we could go back to Jerusalem. But God says, no, you can prosper wherever you are, even in Babylon or Bellevue or Redmond or anywhere. We can bloom wherever we are planted. And this verse says, stop waiting for a then that may never come. We don't have to get all of our problems fixed before we can move on in life and be happy. We can prosper and move on regardless of what we've got in tow. I have a friend who's a pastor and he got Bell's palsy, which is a paralysis of the face. And it, it usually goes away, but, but sometimes it, it doesn't. And in his case, the, it was so severe that he could barely talk, which if you're a pastor is, is a real problem. And, uh, and, and it, the worst thing was he'd had it 10 years before, and so here he was having it again, and, and he was wondering if his career in ministry was over. It was not what he had planned. But God had some plans in it. My friend gradually came to a place of peace over the months that he had it where he could say, you know what, if I have to go do something other than ministry, I trust God with that. There'll be good things in that for me. He had never had that kind of peace before. The first time he got Bell's palsy, he kept trying to preach even though he could barely talk because he was so worried that the church would collapse if he wasn't there. That's how we pastors think. It's narcissism. It's a disease. The second time he he turned his preaching over to his associates and spent all of his time praying for the church and mentoring his associates, which his wife reminded him was way more effective than his preaching anyway. And he discovered that mentoring was actually his lead gift and gave him far more joy than preaching. Whereas the first time around he just wanted a cure, the second time around all he wanted was Jesus. And he came to relish the hours, the hours he spent in prayer. 
Whereas the first time around he was agitated and anxious, the second time he felt peace. The first time around he was worried about his future, the second time around he trusted God. The first time around he looked to Jesus to fix his problems so he could move on with his plans. The second time around he experienced a Jesus who certainly could cure, but could also be trusted even if there was no cure. Bell's palsy was not his plan. But he came to trust that God's plans were good, even if they weren't his plans. And that God's plans were to bring him good, even when his circumstances were rotten. And instead of thinking, if only I could get rid of this Bell's palsy, then I could be happy. He realized that he could prosper and move forward, even in the middle of his pain, and discover a joy in mentoring that he never knew was there. And eventually the Bell's palsy went away. But not before he had become a better man because of it. That's what Jesus does when things don't go the way we want. It comes to this. Do we trust that the God who made the entire universe just maybe, it's quite possible, could be just a little smarter than we are? And that his plans might just maybe could be better than our own plans. When I was a college pastor, I, I took a group of Stanford students to Ecuador on a short-term mission trip. And we were 11,000 feet up in the Andes Mountains, helping the villagers there to build a church for their, their village. And one day we were moving dirt from a fairly steep hill to, to fill in the floor for the church. And the villagers would wheel the wheelbarrow all the way to the top of the hill, fill it up, and then roll it back down. My Stanford students said, this is ridiculous. That's the hard way. Why don't we just take the dirt from the bottom of the hill? And that way, it's much closer to the, to the church. But, let, you know, let's do it that way. And they had this kind of, we'll show them how we do it at Stanford, these illiterate villagers kind of an attitude going, right? So they started digging the dirt at the bottom of the hill, and pretty soon the villagers sat down and started to laugh, which should have been a clue, right? Meanwhile, we were smugly congratulating ourselves that our Stanford education had produced such clear-headed engineering. Until about 30 minutes in, we noticed a problem. Because of the altitude, there was this thick mist all the time around, and, and it made the ground really wet, and it turned it into this thick, muddy, concrete-like clay. And you could roll the wheelbarrow across the packed clay, but once we dug up the dirt, it was impossible to roll the wheelbarrow back out, so we ended up being stuck. And that's why the villagers were going to the top of the hill to dig it up there, so they could roll the wheelbarrow back down over the packed ground. We spent the next hour packing the dirt down that we just dug up. That night we were debriefing the day and I asked the students, so what did we learn today? <laughs> and they mumbled and I said, we have learned that your parents have wasted $100,000 a piece on your education. <laughs> we thought we knew better, but they knew better, even though it seemed harder at the time. Here's the question. Who is better qualified to run your life? You or God? Do you trust that the God who planned the entire universe can also plan your life? Do you trust that the God who is big enough to save your soul can also guide your steps? And that even when we cannot see his hand, we can trust his heart. Because he knows the plans he has for us. And he has promised us acceptance that can never be questioned. An inheritance that can never be lost. Deliverance that cannot be denied. Grace that can never be limited. Hope that will never disappoint. A bounty that can never be withdrawn. Joy that will never be diminished. Peace that can't be disturbed. Righteousness that will never be tarnished. And salvation that cannot be canceled. 
For he knows the plans he has for us, and they are good, they are good, they are good, even when we are in the middle of a hard time. And when we trust that, all of life changes. Lord, help us to follow you. Step by step, help us to trust you, even when things are not going according to plan. We pray this in your name. Amen.